listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 488. Hello and welcome back to the Outdoor Station. In September of last year, in podcast number 476, you may remember I spoke with Katie Tun regarding her 40-day and 40-night challenge of living on a remote island off the west coast of Scotland, surrounded by nothing but nature. It's a really good listen. Katie is an artist and also an Ordnance Survey Get Outdoors champion who moved from the hustle and bustle of London to the Isle of Skye a few years back to follow her passion for caring for the outdoors, wildlife conservation and to fuel her creative soul. Like many of us, she obviously has a thing for islands and has now embarked on capturing the character of not one island but 82 of them. Of course, all the links to Katie and many of the topics we discuss here can all be found over on the outdoorstation.co.uk show notes. It's a great challenge, and I'll let Katie explain the details. Eighty-two Islands is a trip that's based on a poster that was created by Ordnance Survey along with Sheffield University. And what they did was they charted um, all of Great Britain's islands over five kilometres squared. And that ranges from ones in England, such as uh, the Isle of Wight or uh, Portsea Island, and then all the way up to Shetland, Orkney, all the islands off the West Coast. And um, luckily, I'm right in the middle, really, being on Sky, uh, because most of the islands are in Scotland. Um, so the idea of 82 Islands, because I've always had a bit of a, a thing about islands, um, 82 Islands is a chance for me to visit all of these and to get to know them because each island in the UK is completely different, especially up here in the Western Isles. You'll go to one half of an island and it'll be completely different from the other half. So for example, um, Lewis and Harris, you, know, you go to Lewis and it's very, um, you, know, you get heather moors, you get the peat moors, you get the standing stones. It all feels very different to Harris down in the South, which is beaches and you get the hills and, kind of rugged mountainous areas um so the idea is to to kind of learn a little bit about the differences between each island and furthermore to see how we can experience them without creating too much pressure on them in terms of um visitors and uh, footfall and things like that and the reason why this is important to me is because living on sky over the last maybe what five or so years We've seen a real difference in um, increased visitor numbers. There's a lot of people coming here to see the sites. Obviously, it's a very beautiful place, um, but it is affecting um, the landscape. It's affecting the wildlife and it's affecting the people who live here. So I want to look at these islands and maybe see how we can visit them, get to know them and do it slowly and get to know them responsibly rather than you know, just turning up, taking a few pictures and then dashing off so um, on each island what I'm hoping to do is I'm doing a bivvy so I'm staying outside sleeping under the stars somewhere I'm doing a wild swim um, I'm doing a beach clean and I'm making a piece of art so so far that has been doing drawings on each island um, but already it's it's been really interesting finding out the differences between each island and getting to know people on each each one well, certainly looking at your blog, you give a lovely description of the first three islands that you visited. Obviously, naturally, you started on Sky, and I think you intend to finish on Sky. Uh, yeah, and then right. you've done Iona and uh, Berneray? Berneray, yep. 
what I have noticed when I did a quick uh, look at numbers, because we were in Sky um, last year and mm-hmm. I hadn't realised what the, the actual figures were, although obviously, like you're mentioning, I did actually see the impact of volumes of people and not necessarily all the facilities. But it, uh, the, the figures from apparently from the, the tourist office last year is there were 10,000 inhabitants, people who live on the island and work on the island, mm-hmm. and over 660,000 visitors. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it feels like it sometimes. Yeah, I know it's phenomenal, isn't it? And I know you live in a fairly remote area, but even that part of Sky is fairly busy with, with visitors, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. Um, living up in the north end, it's the it's the place that's on all the postcards and the Instagram pictures and the bucket list stuff. So, uh, yeah, we do get large visitor numbers up here. Luckily, I'm slightly tucked away, but uh, on the roads, you do notice it. So why do you think we're drawn to, to islands, attracted to islands? Oh, what a question. Um, do you know what? If you'd asked me a while ago, I used to have a really good answer for this. Why do you think we're attracted to islands? Um, what I went, meant to mention to you, actually... The last conversation we had when you did the 40 days and 40 nights on an island has had loads of downloads. It's one of the most popular downloads in the last 12 months. So I think even that simple description attracted people to the idea of simplicity and the elegance of simplicity, but also the responsibility that goes with visiting these remote places. And I do admire you for the sort of combination of things you're trying to do, because on one hand, you're obviously telling people about the beauty and the appeal of the place, which is and using social media, which, of course, is going to increase the visitors. But at the same time, you're trying to educate people and say, look, consider the impact that you're making, because unlike perhaps the towns or cities where you come from, you don't really notice the changes on a daily basis as people go through their life. You can see quite clearly the effect that um, 100 people or 1,000 people make when they pass through a, 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 a tourist area. Yeah, that, that's right. And I think um, because I'm, I'm an Ordnance Survey Get Outside champion and we're, we're trying to get people outside for their mental and physical health, I think we've got a huge responsibility to actually make sure that they do that responsibly. So as well, uh, you know, I... I, I put a lot of stuff on Instagram, I blog and stuff like that. So I can't stop people from visiting these areas and I wouldn't want to stop people from, from, from visiting these areas. You know, in Sky, we, we rely on tourism for most of our uh, businesses. But what we can do is we can say, look, but if you do come here, please realise that this is our home. This is the home for wildlife and stuff like that. Um, but it is something, it's, it's something that I do struggle with when... I look at, uh, at the, the increased visitor numbers and I think, oh, am I contributing to this? Um, but I think it's just a case of education and uh, just trying to make sure that when people do visit, they appreciate it and leave it how they, they found it. And what I want to say with the with the 82 islands is to maybe try and leave places better than you found them, pick stuff up as you go along or help out local businesses or volunteer or if you can, something like that. We live on the Malvern Hills, which is a very rural place, and I know Sky, like us, is suffering from uh, irresponsible campfires and people leaving, you know, they'll bring a barbecue to a pretty mm-hmm. location, they will have their food, and then for some reason they don't take everything away with them. They just think, oh, oh well, there's a bin there, we'll just pile it up. And within hours almost, the bin can be overflowing and there's bags of rubbish. And it says, well, you brought it, just take it away with you. Exactly. It's just I just don't get it. And uh, what, what I really don't understand is that people come to see how beautiful these natural places are. So to leave them 
less than how you found them. I just can't get my head around that. Well, that brings me on to really your first report of the overnight that you started with um, on Sky uh, when you went to Lealt Falls. Yep. Would you like to relate the story, what happened there? (laughs) It wasn't the most pleasant start to my my island trip. So uh, it was was slightly rainy when I got there, but that meant it was nice and quiet, no midges, and I was all excited to start my island trip. I had my camera ready, and I toddled down the the hillside towards the waterfall, which is the the main attraction at the area, and it's just beautiful. It's it's remarkable. It looks like something out of a film set. and then when I got to the bottom of the path, there was this massive, great big pile of human waste and baby wipes and tissues. And it just, I mean, we've all seen it. I think every single national park in the UK is struggling with this at the moment. And uh, I, I don't know many people who go walking and don't come across stuff like this. But it just shows how important this is. And it's just so frustrating to see people leaving this i mean it's fine you can get you can get caught out but clean it up afterwards because it's you know it's dangerous it's dangerous for wildlife and it's people's workplace and people's homes so um if anything that was it was a bit of a shock to the system but it it kind of installed in me how important it was for 82 islands to be about leave no trace and how it's about being responsible and leaving places better than you found them because before then, that was just a side thing, and now I want it to be the primary aim of the project. I think it was just a remarkable coincidence that that, that occurred uh, on the very first trip and, as you say, reinforced all those uh, key points that you want to get across to people, which I think hopefully this podcast will make people think about these sort of things as they as they listen to it. But I also realised um, when I was uh, cyber-stalking you that obviously that isn't the first <laughs> time you've been to those falls when you were a star of a pop video. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I've been there before, in equally as much rain before. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, um, I was very lucky. There's a, there's a local band called Nightworks, which is one of my favourite bands, and uh, because I'd done lots of wild swimming, uh, Dolly Owen, who's a filmmaker from... Um, from the area, he asked me to be in in the video that he was creating for them. So that was a, that was a real treat for me. Actually, I was really proud of that. Oh, I'm um, not surprised. It's a great video. It's had uh, seventy five thousand views. So um, it's obviously has it. Yes, yeah, wow. yeah, yes. You're a star in your own lunchtime. You really <laughs> oh, are. It's all it's all about that song though. That song is amazing. I just wish that I I, I sing it, but I'm sure I get the Gaelic all wrong. Yes. I wish I knew the words to everything. <laughs> yeah, it's be- it is beautiful to listen to and marvellous scenery as well. So I thought, yeah, but well, that must have been great fun to do. Now, you, you, you said about the, the 82 Islands, you wanted to explore the, the character and personalities. I mean, you live on Sky and you have been there for obviously for several years now. So have you learned a different character or personality from related to the visit that you did on that particular day? Or is that going to be quite a tricky one because you obviously are a resident? Um, yeah, I guess I hadn't actually thought of learning more from my stay on Sky. At the moment, I've just used it to reiterate what I've what I've learned from living here, which is things like trying to get people to take away their waste and to know how to drive on single track roads and things like that. But that's interesting, actually. I think perhaps that's a job for me to maybe look at Sky as a visitor for the final time that I that I come here and round off my my trip, maybe. Yeah, I think with the other islands sort of under your belt, you might look at it and just have a slightly different slant or a different take on it, which will be interesting. 
So you started the, the project, if you like, uh, in, in May um, mm-hmm. and you did the first island and everything was looking fantastic. And then all of a sudden you shot off to go and help somebody do a Land's End to John O'Groats. <laughs> and watching your social yeah. media is like, well, it's like, where's Wally? Where's Katie now? <laughs> I know. Sometimes I don't even know where I am. Um, but yes, so I, I, I'd agreed a while ago to uh, be on Mel's support team for her Land's End to John O'Groats uh, hand cycle world record. And uh so I, what I wanted to do was I wanted to get a couple of islands under my belt before I went away to do that. And that's the thing with with the island trip. I had hoped to do it. Originally, I was aiming for around a year. I wasn't wasn't too strict about it. Um, but now two things, fitting it in around work and finances and making art and also um, just getting to know the islands as well. That's going to take a oh, I'm probably looking about two years and then uh, maybe another year or two to uh mop up all the smaller islands which aren't on the list. Yeah, it was it was amazing experience to go and help Mel and to be part of the support team. I've never done anything like that before, so it was an amazing experience. By the sound of it and the speed that she did it, which I think was just over six days, it, it was very difficult to try and keep up with her. <laughs> it really was. It, I mean, it was, it was a very intense experience. We'd be up at half three in the morning, pack everything together. We'd need to get Mel fed, Mel taped up um, with the physio, uh, on the road so it was all very it was a constant working team which was amazing and uh, and the fact that she managed to do it through rain wind all this kind of stuff and going through the night on the last on the last day was just incredible I think she's an absolute superwoman for people who don't realize it's all um, upper, upper body strength isn't it? it's all hand hand power there's no leg leg power at all Oh, completely. Yeah, it's 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 one one movement really. I remember we we were in the the car behind, and I was I was kind of trying to do the movement as well, and I, I was seeing how long I could do it for. And after ten minutes, I was like, "Gosh, this really hurts. I'm going to have to stop." So, it's it's really quite incredible. I think she's the, the closest person I know to a superhero, really. I think she'd be fantastic to talk to one day. It'd be great. Oh yeah. <laughs> Podcasts are based solely around self-powered travel. If you walk, run, cycle, paddle, climb, explore or sail, we want to share your adventure, hear your highs and lows and inspire others to go out and do more. Coming back to your islands then, the second mm-hmm. island, but how, mm-hmm. did you, how did you find that? Burnaray, well, it's actually one that I've been to before, but what I wanted to do with this trip was to look at them all in a different light. So I, I cleaned the slates, really. And actually, it was it's really interesting because, um, as I said, I think all the islands have a different um, different things that affect them. And whereas on Sky, one of the problems is increased tourist numbers and um, the huge amounts of footfall. Uh, Burnery, one of the things that's important there is that they've got the maca, which is the um, coastal seagrass on the sand, all the beautiful flowers in the dunes and all these rare orchids and nesting birds and things. So their issue is um, the erosion of the maca and also people coming with camper vans and stocking up and not buying from local shops and things. So um, it's actually, it was really interesting to go over there and see how different the impact of all these extra visitors has on on these places um and also i mean if you've if you've seen pictures of, of burnery it's a it's a wee paradise really but uh yeah i've got a bit of a soft spot for it anyway so it was a nice one to go over to i think i read on your your blog that your conclusion was that a lot of people that go there are actually repeat visitors and that tends to keep the impact down 
Yeah, that's what um, I was talking to a, an artist in the area, and that's what they said. They said that often with the smaller islands, when it takes a little bit more effort for people to get over there, they're often visitors who are a little bit more diligent about cleaning up after themselves, which is quite interesting. And that was that was an idea that was echoed on Iona, um, that they have almost no problems with litter and rubbish, which was wonderful, actually. And it's nice to know that that's, that's something that doesn't, we we have a bit of a large litter problem here on Sky, but often it's because of facilities. But it was nice to know that that's not universal to all islands. Well, I was looking for some figures again uh, on Bernaray, and I could see that there's 130 registered residents, but I couldn't find actually the number of visitors, which would have been interesting to compare it to to Sky. Mm-hmm. But but certainly from a, from a character point of view, again coming back to the personality, have you made any conclusions? Oh, it's got a, well, I think it's got a lovely little character, but I think I would probably say that about all the islands. Um, it's very interesting. It's a, what's nice is there's an equal mix of fishing community, um, communities looking after visitors and crofting communities over there. Um, and it's a very close-knit community, but also very open to visitors, which is lovely. Um, and it's just generally beautiful. And as as you saw, they've got a you might have read in my blog about the, the hostel up at the end. They've got a very welcoming set of uh, Highland hospitality, kind of. They've got a great nature up there. Mm, and I understand a gin and tonic goes a long way with you. <laughs> it does, definitely. Yeah, the, the, uni- the universal um, sign of, of new friendship. A warm welcome, <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, it gets a lovely read on your blog, and I'll, I'll put links to all that on the, on the show notes. As a matter of interest, actually, it just suddenly occurred to me while we're talking about this. Uh, do you know with these smaller islands how they get rid of their rubbish? So when they've they've gathered it together, do they ship it to the mainland and, and incinerate it or something? They do. They have a rubbish collection um, that joins on with, with ours. So they'll have a, a bin lorry that will come and visit once or um, uh, once every two weeks or once a week. Um, and it will be taken away on the ferry, just the same as it is on the mainland, um, and it will go to the same place as the mainland. But this is also um, something to think about if you're a visitor visiting these islands. If you can take away your rubbish, then it means that you're not putting extra pressure on these services, which um, are already quite sparse considering um, the, the logistics of getting bin lorries to the islands and getting rubbish off the islands. So that's something which I didn't really consider but it makes sense when you think about it well i know the your third visit your third island that's the the furthest one we've gone so far is iona Uh, and again just just to dig around with the figures uh, i noticed they've got 120 residents and they had 130,000 visitors so Mm -hmm. again a massive impact really of tourist visitors and and whatever yeah iona was a was a very interesting one I don't know how many others there are going to be like this, but when I spoke to the local residents, um, they actually said that a lot of the problems that they had weren't from extra visitors. They were from the infrastructure and the uh, management of the Highland Council itself. Um, They are actually incredibly positive. They don't have litter problems. Um, They have the cars the cars that visit there are ones that are already re- already registered on the island. So people are foot passengers and you get these huge coach loads of people coming from Mull. Um, but they're all there for a couple of hours. They'll eat and drink in the local cafes and then they'll return um, and there won't be traffic or there won't be any problems like that. And actually, it's really interesting to see how successful it is to limit vehicles on a small island like that. 
Um, something which they don't do in Burnery, but um, I think if they had the numbers that visited Iona in Burnery, they would have real problems with traffic. Well, you're saying that you've been bivying uh, at the three locations, and I presume that's the the route that you'll take with the rest of the islands, as you say. Mm-hmm. Would you like to just talk us through your evening, your traditional evening, with or without the socialising, um, of, of setting up camp and whereabouts you, you get your head down and, and what experiences you've had so far? Okay, so the bivying thing, um, basically I just try and, I try and tuck myself away um, out, of, out of sight and far away from a road. Um, so I'll, I'll have my rucksack on, I, I usually don't have a car or anything, so I'll, I'll go for a wander, maybe half an hour, an hour away from the road, um, and then set up camp, which is so simple, really. It's basically just putting out a roll mat, and um, I've got a sleeping bag inside a bivy bag, which keeps it waterproof, and then just just tucking in for the night, maybe having some food if, if, if I've got it there, and um, just tucking in and getting warm. So it's the most basic way of sleeping, but I love the fact that you can look up to the sky and you can listen to the birds you fall asleep, uh, things like the snipe making that lovely noise with their tails as they fly in the evening and um, seabirds and oyster catchers and things like that. So what I like about bivying is the fact that you just feel like you're in the environment, which I feel is a great way to experience something at low impact. The the only problem is uh, is the rain can sometimes be a little bit challenging. I've, I've My intention is to invite um, friends and newbie campers with me on some of these island trips but uh I'll, I'll probably give them a tent just in case it rains because i think it's not not particularly pleasant to be stuck in a bivy in the rain it's um it's it's a, a an acquired taste it's a unique me. experience isn't it definitely <laughs> it is yeah in fact i was reading earlier on today on facebook uh, one of the groups there was a a gentleman that was went to sandwood bay uh, on the way to cape wrath which would have been an absolutely blissful place for a wild camp and it was his first wild camp and mm. he just lost the confidence to do it, whether it was, you can't quite say fear, I think it was just the apprehension of the of the complete unknown. And there's been mm. a lot of uh, women that have made similar comments about where can they go and how safe will they be. So would you have anything you could say to them to for people to consider the, the benefits of wild camping? Well, in terms of uh, safety, uh, and perhaps this is primarily uh, towards women who are nervous about camping. Um, I get asked a lot about whether I feel safe out on my own camping. And to that, I, I tend to say, well, no one's, I go to places where no one else will be. And that's, that's part of the reason why I go where I go is that I like the fact that there's no one there. And, um, you know, if there's, if there's someone a bit dodgy, they're not going to be looking in a field for you. They're going to be looking in a, in a city where there's lots of people but I, I'm not sure how I can advise on confidence because for me, it's my escape. It's my way of getting out and kind of resetting and recharging. So for me, it's almost like if I'm feeling not confident, like that's that's where I'll go to, to escape from uh, being busy or um, perhaps situations that I need to think over and work out what to do, stressful situations. So perhaps I'm not the best person to to advise in terms of confidence but I guess if if someone is feeling nervous I mean I'm, I'm always welcome to have people come and join me but then of course that's that's another thing where the safety thing comes in that's why I don't open my my trips up completely to people online 
because of my own personal safety and I have to be quite careful about that. But yeah, it's a tricky one. Well, I, I sort of made a comment that I personally, I feel that when you go to a remote place and yeah. you have your electronics are switched off and you mm-hmm. don't hear any traffic, you don't mm-hmm. see anybody else, there's no other sort of um, influences in your environment at all apart mm-hmm. from nature, pure nature, wh- whether it be a stream or the bird song or whatever or the, the wind uh, rustling mm-hmm. the trees. I find it actually... Uh, a a unique experience that in, in some respect I think a lot of people perhaps it's so unique they have never experienced anything like it in their life because you can be with friends and not be talking and looking at the view and that's lovely mm-hmm. but it's it's completely different when your friends aren't there and you are just yeah. with your own thoughts and your own um, awareness of, of where you are how you're feeling the feel of the grass the the wind on your skin etc etc I think there's a there's a powerful element of simplicity that we have dismissed perhaps over the years because we're so used to being busy and having things interrupting our our minds uh, all the time. That's that's really interesting. I, I remember there's a there's a comedian who um, once they they were doing a, a they were I think they were chatting to their kids in the car and he said, you know, turn that phone off, turn that music off, and he said that the reason why we feel like we have to be busy all the time sometimes is the fact that when it's quiet, when we turn the music off and when we have nothing to look at, we have our own emotions to face. Um, You know, you start looking inwards rather than being distracted by things outwards, which I guess kind of runs along the same, the same line. But it's interesting, this, this thing of being solo as well, because you say about people being reassured by having friends next to them whilst camping. I actually, I feel more nervous if I've got someone near me because I'm more conscious of, are they happy? Are they, um, can I keep up with them? Uh, would they rather be doing this? So it's, it's interesting how all our minds look at it in different ways. Mm, yeah, very interesting. Well, I'm, I'm sure that's a subject of another podcast at a later date. <laughs> but anyway, coming back to your bivying, I, I noticed you, uh, just, to, just to give people confidence, you do have a favourite accessory that you take with you, uh, along with your, um, your Kelly kettle. Uh, mm-hmm. which you fill and and keep you warm during the night. Oh, my God, I love my hot water bottle. Oh, do you know what, though? Now I've got two two dogs. I've, I haven't taken it out since I've got the, the two new dogs. But, um, oh, gosh, yeah, once once you try it, and everyone says, all the outdoor forums, all this, they say have a, a Nalgene bottle or a normal, a normal bottle, water bottle, and fill it with warm water, but nothing beats an old-fashioned rubber hot water bottle that's, Far too heavy to go in a pack, but it's so worth it. And I, I feel like I could, I can sleep in anything as long as I've got something warm in my sleeping bag. There you go. When you're on desert island discs, that'll be your luxury item. <laughs> it will be. It'll be uh, a cup of tea and a hot water bottle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have had, um, since we last spoke, you've had an incredibly busy lifestyle. And I just wondered if you wouldn't mind just sharing how it works for you. You're obviously a creative artist. Your work is absolutely beautiful and, and um, hopefully is, is very popular. Well, it seems to be very popular because every time I look at something, it says sold next to it. Um, <laughs> and, and that's obviously a great help. But I mean, from a financial point of view and obviously living where you are in the remote section of Sky, is it mm-hmm. is it a tough life as to be an independent artist and, and manage and obviously, obviously fit all these other things as well um i think in terms of financial things i think i'd say a lot of my friends see me traveling here and there um and it looks expensive but 
I tend to find all the things that I really like to do are free. And being on an artist's salary, I mean, unless you're you know, one of the top artists, you're not making a lot of money. But the lucky thing about living in Sky is that it it's a lot cheaper than when I used to live down in London. I can afford to um, spend less time working and more time following things that I want to do. Um, it's not it's not a particularly easy life. I'm never going to have a, a nice car and um, I see my friends in tropical holidays doing all these things. And sometimes I think, oh, gosh, I wonder if I should have taken a different path. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but I think the best things in life are free. So basically I work, work to live. Oh, gosh, I'm coming out with all the cliches now. Uh, work to live, not live to work. Um, but it, it's, it's nice in being, I guess, being an artist is a pretty cool job because you get to work from home and you get to be inspired by whatever you enjoy in life. So that's pretty jammy. And I'm quite lucky that, that I can support myself. But um, it does mean that, that you, never, you, you don't often see me in new clothes or in a, in a fancy car or, or booking fancy things. But I think it's just about prioritizing what you enjoy. So for example, um, you know, I might not spend, I might not be able to spend money on a, on a nice hotel, but at the same time, I can go down to the beach and take a bottle of champagne. So that's, you know, that feels luxurious. That feels special because I've saved money because I'm sleeping on the sand. So it's just about prioritizing what, what makes life enjoyable, I guess. So no regrets from your point of view then? No regrets whatsoever. No. Good to hear. No. From the social media, I see that you've got two new friends that join you when you're uh, you're out bivying on these uh, island trips now, and I can hear they're in the background. <laughs> They've been very good so far. Uh, what's uh, for people who are interested in taking small dogs or dogs with mm-hmm. them um, in similar situations? How have you found the experience? And just explain what type of dogs they are for people. Okay, so um, I recently, I recent, sorry, they're they're licking. I've just let them in, so they're they're licking me and sneezing all over me. Right, so I've just uh, adopted two little rescue dogs, and um, I told the rescue centre that I wanted one old dog that would be used to walking, that I might just be able to give a couple of years of of nice outdoor life to. Um, and they saw they saw some weakness and ended up giving me these two little monkeys who are a lot younger and Philippines but um I've been quite lucky actually I I I think when you when you get a dog from a rescue you you get to say like I want a a dog that's good at walking or I want a dog that's um used to being outside or that's not scared of water or something like that so I've been quite lucky with these two um and really I'm just getting to know what it's like taking a dog around with me. I've taken dogs to previous dogs, um, to Bothies and stuff, but this is the first time I've taken them divvying. Um, and it means having, means needing to have a dog that, um, doesn't run away and doesn't chase farm animals and stuff. That was very important to me. Um, but I'm quite lucky that they're quite small so I can pick them up if, uh, if the going gets too rough. Um, I don't really know what I can advise on in terms of, uh, taking dogs camping because I'm just kind of muddling it through as we go they've got all the equipment they've got all the uh the coats and um life jackets and things like that so it's just about keeping them safe really um and they're terriers aren't they uh one's a chihuahua and the other one is a chihuahua um jack russell cross oh right okay i mean they're ridiculous they're they're basically rats or 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 rabbits and they don't really make up the whole size of a normal dog between them but uh, it means that they're quite handy for tucking under an arm if they're going too slowly on a hill or 
or something like that. But it's a, it's it's interesting. But it does mean that I don't have to uh, at the moment. I don't have to have a hot water bottle, which is <laughs> which is nice. Self-propelled hot water bottles. Just the only problem is they poo, and that's not a problem with the hot water bottle. But but they're cute, so I'll make up for it. They are excellent. <laughs> Well, final question then. Obviously, we've got three islands now under your belt. Do mm-hmm. you have sort of a, a sequential list of the other islands? Where What are you thinking of next? Or is it a case of you've got to get X amount of work done and then you'll think about it? It's just a case of seeing when my schedule is free and seeing what I can fit in when. Um, I've, I've been looking at, at local islands. So, for example, Rasse and Rona and um, Pabe are very close. They're, they're just off the coast of Skye. So it's quite tempting to go for the low-hanging fruit first. I kind of need to up my speed a little bit. Hopefully, once summer's summer's done, I've got all my exhibition work out of the way. It's going to be a little bit quicker. No, there's not. There's not really. I don't really have a plan. It's just what comes up when. And if, say, I've got friends who want to go to a particular place, or if, um, say, there's an interesting. Uh, say wildlife trail in a particular place then I'll try and aim to go there for them but no it's all as what I can fit in and when I can fit in really so I've got to keep it casual around work at the moment. Well Keddy thank you very much indeed for taking the time to talk to us it's been lovely to catch up with you it's been fascinating to hear about your last 12 months or so and I'm sure because of the pure nature of the content of of this it will be equally as popular as the last podcast and obviously i wish you well and i do hope that you can find the time somewhere in your busy schedule in the next year or so <laughs> and we'll catch up with sort of halfway through and see how you're getting on oh thanks bob but well i'm, I'm hoping you know i'll have a, a lot more islands to talk about once uh, once we speak next time so yep i'm looking forward to it Let's see if this podcast is as popular as our previous chat on number 476. If you haven't listened to it, do go back and check it out. All the links to everything we discuss can be found over on the show notes, and I'm sure Katie won't object if you are tempted by one of her beautiful blue and gold pieces. Such rich colours from the Isle of Skye. Now, I'm very bad at all this social media engagement stuff, However, if you like the show and the back catalogue of almost 500 podcasts, please put a review on iTunes or drop me a line or comment on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. I seem to get thousands of downloads per episode, millions in total and just a handful of comments on social media. Well, I guess I just can't get everything right. So until next time, folks, take care out there and bye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear or see more from our extensive free library, please visit theoutdoorsstation.co.uk.